Thank you so much. I was just hoping I could make it up here before y'all stopped. <laughs> I'm getting older, you know, so. It is wonderful to be with you. I'm so excited about uh, this series, Exposing the Enemy. And let me do what Pastor Robert does. Let me give you a couple of scriptures to turn to. One is Isaiah 14, and the other is Ezekiel 28. And so those are the two scriptures we're going to read here in just a minute. But this is going to be a great uh, series called Exposing the Enemy. Let me say, we're going to be talking about five names and titles of the devil and understanding how he attacks us and how we can overcome him. But I want to say this right up front. This is not a devil-glorifying series. This is a God-glorifying series. So we're going to be talking about the power of God and how God has equipped us to overcome the enemy. I want to read four scriptures. And in reading these scriptures from the Bible, I want you just simply to listen to how many times the devil's mentioned. That's all I want you to do because I'm going to make a comment when I finish reading these scriptures, and so it'll be important. So just remember, as I'm reading this, how many times the devil's mentioned. This is 1 Peter 5. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. This is Luke 10. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. Somebody needs to be thankful that Jesus gave us all authority over the devil, that we are not helpless. We don't have to fear the devil. We have authority over him. Matthew 4, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And this is Ephesians 6. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rooters of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all this stand. So I hope you just noticed how many times that I mentioned the devil. And the reason that's important is 60% of Christians don't believe in the devil. According to a 2008 Barna Research Survey, and this is a Christian research firm, they interviewed Christians, and in 2008, 60% of Christians said, I don't believe in the devil. I believe that number is higher today. There are many denominations that do not believe in the devil and they don't believe in hell. They believe that they're symbols of evil, but they don't believe in them. Let me say this. If what the Bible says about the devil isn't true, we shouldn't believe what it says about Jesus. It's not a good book. It's not a valid book. And if what the Bible says about hell isn't true, why should we believe what it says about heaven? And by the way, Jesus taught more about hell than he did about heaven. Here's the point. There is a devil and there is a hell, and we need to understand it. Not so that we can focus on it, but so that we can be protected. Let me, let me tell you why I'm preaching these messages. About a year ago, I was praying one morning, and I was just praying about what the Lord wanted me to preach on. And the Lord in the spirit realm, it just took like 10 seconds. The Lord in the spirit realm just parted in my spirit, in my heart, just parted the curtain and I could see into the spirit realm. I could see the demonic. 
And what I saw were Christians being slaughtered right and left by the devil. And the Lord said to me, teach my people how to overcome the devil. And the purpose of this series of messages is not to focus on the devil, it's to focus on God and the authority that he has given us to overcome the devil. We're overcomers. We don't have to be overcome by an evil devil. We're supposed to be overcomers. So I want to talk in this sermon today, this is part one, on exposing Lucifer. I want to talk in every one of these messages, I'm going to talk about another name or title of the devil and what it means. So we're going to talk about exposing Lucifer. I ask you to turn to Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. These are the two scriptures in the Old Testament that tell us where the devil came from. Okay? God never makes anything that's not perfect. And he made the devil perfect. Okay, so this is Isaiah 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook kingdoms, who made the worlds as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? That's one of the scriptures that tells us the origin of the devil. His name was Lucifer, which means light bearer. He was a worship leader in heaven. This is now Ezekiel 28. Listen to what this says about Satan as heaven's worship leader and what happened when he became proud. You were the seal of perfection. This is verse 12. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day where you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. Lucifer was a covering cherub in the garden of God, and he was gorgeous. He was perfect and gorgeous and beautiful and powerful. According to Revelation 12, 4, when he fell, he took a third of the angels of heaven with him. So this is a very, very persuasive individual. And one day, rather than worshiping God, he put his eyes on himself and he says, I'm going to be like God. I'm going to ascend into heaven, and I'm going to put my throne there, and I'm going to be like God. By the abundance of his trading, by the abundance of his success, his beauty, and everything that God put in him, rather than worshiping God the way that he was designed, one day he took his eyes off of God and put them onto himself, and he was corrupted, and God threw him down. Let me say this. The calling card of the devil is pride. The number one way the devil attacks us in our lives is this issue of pride. Every single one of us deal with it. Every single one of us have to, to come against the devil in this area because he's going to come against all of us on a regular basis to try to get us to be proud. But here's what the Bible says about pride. Number one, it was how the devil deceived Adam and Eve. 
Now, this is Genesis chapter 3. Listen, this is the way the devil is still working. This, this, is, this is not how he did to Adam and Eve. This is the way he does to all of us. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. He's calling God a liar. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took a bit and ate its fruit. She gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the both, eyes of both of them were open. They knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. This is Satan's strategy. He accuses God is being a liar and a bully. He says, God's holding you down. God knows if you eat that fruit, you're going to become everything that, that you should become. God, God's a bully. He's insecure. He's trying to hold you down, but sin will make you into the person you should be, and you'll be like God. You can be your own God. That's what he does. The second thing about pride is, is that God hates it and actively resists it. God hates pride. This is Proverbs 6, verse 16. These six things the Lord hates... Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Number one is a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. The number one thing that God hates is pride, and the Bible says it's an abomination. Abomination means a detestable thing. Again, all of us deal with it. But this is a serious sin. This is what James 4 says. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So you say, so God resists the proud. No, that's not the way that God resists the proud. The word resist in James 4 is the word antitasso. It means to set yourself in battle formation against. God doesn't resist pride like this. He resists pride like this. You will not succeed. I love you too much to bless you when you're walking in the spirit of the devil. I will not let you succeed. See, sometimes when we think the devil's against us, it's actually God. When you're walking in pride, God's going to resist it because he loves you. He loves you. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to walk in that spirit and to fail. So God, God resists us. And here's the other thing. Because it's a sin, Pride is a sin. It exposes us to spiritual attacks and it negates our spiritual authority. Let's read James 4 more. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So here's the triple whammy of pride. God resists us, the devil attacks us, and we have no authority. See, the, the answer, let me, let me go to the answer. The answer for pride is worship. And I want to say something to you. I want to submit this for your consideration. I do not believe that the opposite of pride is humility. Because an unbeliever can be humble. A Buddhist can be humble. An atheist can be humble. Anybody can be humble. I submit to you that the opposite of pride is worship. Satan did not go from humility to pride. Satan went from worship to pride. Satan was a worship leader in heaven. Let me say this. You will never be in pride when you're worshiping. 
You won't be in pride when you're worshiping. So let me talk about three practical reasons why we worship. Remember, he was the worship leader in heaven until he fell and he was corrupted. The number one practical reason, worship is the most practical thing on earth. The number one practical reason why we worship is to keep our lives God-centered, not me-centered. It keeps us God-centered. So this is David, the psalmist David, and he's speaking to himself here in this psalm, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He's talking, giving a commandment to himself. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget none of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. When you pray, praise and worship is a discipline that reminds me he's everything to me. He's my father. He's my friend. He's my provider. He's my healer. He's my protector. He pities me. He, he is my righteousness. God is everything to me. That's what worship does. Listen to me. Have you ever, you, you've seen in the Bible where it says, come magnify the Lord with me. And it talks, so let me ask you this question. When we worship, does God get bigger? No. God can't get bigger. When we worship, he gets bigger to us. Worship magnifies the Lord, but when you don't worship, it minimizes him. God doesn't get bigger and smaller than we worship. He gets bigger and smaller in our hearts. When we worship, I am, listen, I want a big God and a little devil. Anybody with me? What worship does is it makes God bigger and bigger and the devil smaller and smaller. And I walk around all day with a big God and a little devil. It makes a whole lot of difference. But when you don't worship, you have a big devil and a little God. Worship, God is everything to us. And David is saying, listen, listen to me. So you don't forget any of the benefits of God. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Remember him. Worship remembers God. Praise, thanksgiving remembers God. It is not something that we do on Sundays, it's not something that we do every now and then. It's something that we do all the time. Is we're worshipers. We remember God. Here's another thing, very practical, that worship does. It keeps our faith in God strong and active. Again, this is David now. Psalm 16. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. So this is, this is David now, King David, and he says, I have always set the Lord before me. Okay. So how do you set the Lord before you? Well, worship, praise, uh, prayer, meditation on the Bible, whatever. And, and what he's saying here is, I keep remembering, 
I keep remembering that God is with me. Is God with us, by the way? Okay. Jesus said, we're two or more gathered in my name. There I am, you're missed. Jesus is here right now. But we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wherever we go, God is there, right? So every day you go through life and you see people and problems and money and issues and challenges and all these things in your life. Well, when you don't set God before you, what it means is it's you and them. It's you against people. It's you against circumstances. It's you against problems. And it becomes overwhelming. But when you set God before you, what it means is everything I see, I see through a God filter. I have set the Lord before me. Therefore, my heart is glad. My glory rejoices. My flesh will rest in hope. So I want you to listen. So David was a giant killer. So David was a young boy who was a shepherd. And he worked in his father's sheepfold. And so Goliath and the Philistines had come against Israel for 40 days. Goliath was nine feet tall. And every day for 40 days, Goliath came down into the valley floor and he looked up at the armies of Israel and he cursed them and he cursed their God. And the Bible said for 40 days, the trained warriors of Israel shook in their boots for 40 days until a little boy named David showed up at the battle line. Remember, David was a worshiper. David showed up at the battle line and he heard Goliath taunting the armies of Israel and cursing God. And little David, who always kept the Lord before him, little David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who's talking bad about our God? And he goes over to Saul and said, I'll kill him. I'll kill him right now. Let me go kill him. And Saul said, well, you're just a boy. And he's been a warrior since he was a boy. David said, I don't care. I can kill him. And David said, well, let me, or Saul said, well, let me loan you some armor. And he said, this, this doesn't fit. This stick and a rock will do. And Saul thought, well, even if you die, maybe it'll encourage people. Go on down there. <laughs> and David went down the hill toward Goliath. And Goliath said, am I a dog that you're throwing sticks at me? Who in the world is this kid? And David said, you come against me with sword and spear. I come against you in the name of the living God. And this day, the Lord will give you into my hands, and I'm going to cut your head off and give it to the birds of the air. That is a kid with an attitude. And the attitude doesn't come from pride. The attitude comes from worship. I serve a big God. I serve a big God. I have always set the Lord before me. I'm a worshiper. I keep reminding myself wherever I go, whoever I see, whatever I encounter, I have a God who's with me and he's a big God. And it supercharges my faith. Here's what David said. He said, I have always set the Lord before me, therefore my heart is glad. Let me say something to you. I hope you remember this. The number one thing that causes depression is thinking about yourself. See, pride, pride begins by thinking about ourselves, but the Bible says pride goes before destruction. Pride's going to fail. Whatever, whatever it is that we're walking in, pride is going to fail. And when it fails and we don't have God before us, we're going to get depressed. It's called being a navel-gazer. Just sitting around all day thinking about yourself. And here's what Isaiah 61.3 says. It's a beautiful scripture. God gives us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I want you to listen to me now. Listen to what I'm about to say. Heaviness, depression is not an emotion. It's a spirit. 
God has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear is not an emotion, it's a spirit. If you treat fear like it's your emotion, you'll never overcome fear. Fear is a demon spirit that attacks our emotions. And the only way to overcome fear is to address it as an outside entity and take authority over it. Demon of fear, you will not. See, fear comes to make us make a wrong decision that God will not honor. God only honors faith. He doesn't honor fear. Depression comes to swallow us up in a blanket of self and negativity. It's a spirit. God has given us a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Listen to me. This is a garment. I had to put it on. When the Bible calls something a garment or tells us to put it on, it means we have to make that choice every day. We don't, we don't wake up with it. Did you know the Bible says put on humility? Because our sin nature is a prideful sin nature. If I'm going to walk as a humble person, I've got to make that decision every day. Listen to me. God is enthroned on the praises of his people. And Satan and God cannot coexist. When you're depressed, don't sit around thinking about your problems in yourself. Praise your God. Put on, put on the garment of praise. And when you put on the garment of praise, the spirit of heaviness is going to leave your life. David said, I have set, I have set the Lord always before me. Therefore, my heart is glad. Why am I glad? Because I'm just sitting here thinking about him. What happens when I'm not thinking about him? I get depressed. I get discouraged. I get overwhelmed. My glory rejoices. And it just means I'm encouraged. It encourages me to think about how great my God is. The, the last thing that it says, he says, my flesh will rest in hope. Versus anxiety. Versus anxiety. I'm telling you, we're living in difficult days, but our God is God over everything. These may be the end times, but they're his times. The devil is not in control. The Antichrist is not in control. Our God is in control. In everything we come against, he is greater than that thing. Somebody needs to say amen. amen. This is the absolute truth. Number three reason that worship is so practical is it keeps everything in its correct perspective. Without this, we get, we get all turned in ourselves. So the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us how to pray. They came, the disciples came to him and said, Lord, how do we pray? And he said, well, let me teach you how to pray. And so he taught them the Lord's Prayer. Here's the last line of the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, 13. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This is called acknowledgement of divine right. These are... These are uh, when it says thee, this is a, 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 an absolute statement, not a uh, kingdom, but the kingdom. So it says here, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever. Um, did you know that we don't have any glory? When, when we're saying this every day, here's what we're saying to God. I don't have a kingdom. I'm not going to wake up today and go try to build a kingdom. Because I don't have one. You have the only kingdom. I serve your kingdom. I don't have power. <laughs> I've got a little energy. The battery's draining. But yours is the power. If I'm going to live my life the way that I should, I have to rely on your power. I acknowledge that you have the power. And I don't deserve glory. I don't have... It is wrong for me to live my life to make myself look good. It is wrong for me 
to take any credit for the good that I do in life. And someone comes up and says, you know, Jimmy, you're just a great guy. And I say, thanks. I've just kind of got a great personality, don't I? I work hard at it. I mean, I really do. I mean, I just, I was thinking, great. You know, you know what I just did? Someone came up and said, Jimmy, you're great. And what I should have said is, thank you. Anything in me that you see that's good came from God. I like Tim Tebow. And Tim Tebow, when he played for Denver, I don't like Denver. Uh, <laughs> let's be very clear about that. But Tim Tebow was nationally ridiculed because when he made a touchdown, he would take a knee and point to heaven. And if you're an arrogant guy that, you know, struts around when you do something right, that's normal to the world. But to find a person who gives credit to God is so unusual in these days. I do not deserve glory. Every gift in me was put in me by God. Every good thing in my life is there because of God. God, I'm telling you right now, yours is the glory, and I will not rob you of your glory. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever. And I tell you, when you say that and mean it, you're ready for a good day. And Jesus told us to pray it every day. Well, let me talk for just a minute about the end, about the end times, and I'm, I'm finished. This is 2 Thessalonians 2. The Antichrist, I'm going to talk about the Antichrist in several weeks. The Antichrist comes to take God's worship. This is, and by the way, the Antichrist is Satan incarnate. This is 2 Thessalonians 2. Listen to what it says that the end game of the devil is. Remember, he tried to take God's glory, and he tried to take God's worship, and he was cast out of heaven. Now, this is what's going to happen at the end. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The man of sin, the Antichrist. I believe he's on the earth right now. I believe that he will take his place very quickly, very soon. But when he does, his purpose is going to finally get what he's after, and what he's after is God's worship. And the reason that he'll have so many followers is because the world today is under the influence of the Antichrist. I'll read this scripture, we'll close. 2 Timothy 3, Paul tells Timothy, know this, in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Are we living in that world right now? The spirit of the Antichrist is everywhere you look, and people are haughty, and they're proud, and that's the spirit of the devil. And as God's people, we are called not just to be humble, but to be worshipers. And even though pride may be very, very normal in the world today, the Bible says that it's an abomination to God. We all deal with it. All of us deal with it. But we have to deal with it as an attack. We have to deal with it as a sin. And the Bible says, humble yourself in the eyes of God and he will lift you up. 
Submit to God, then resist the devil, and you will have authority over him. Listen, you don't have authority over the devil when you're walking in the same spirit as him. The only way you can defeat a spirit is with the opposite spirit. That's why Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. When you fight fire with fire, you get a bigger fire. So when you're dealing with pride, how do you deal with it? With humility. With not making it about me, it's about God. I want you, if you're comfortable, I just want you to bow your heads there if you would. I want you just to lift your hands up. If you're comfortable doing that, I want you just to lift your hands up. Lord, we're, we're your worshipers, Lord. We were created to worship you, and it's our great joy. It is our great joy to worship you. We have all, all walked in pride at different times. And it's a sin and we repent. We truly repent. And we submit to you, God. We desperately need you. You're everything to us. You're everything to us. We surrender and we commit ourselves to be worshipers. I bind the spirit of depression in the name of Jesus. I bind it in Jesus' name. Discouragement and depression, you're going to leave right now because we're putting on a garment of praise. And we're opening our mouths and we're praising our God. And you cannot coexist here. We overcome you. We overcome you with the praises of our mouth. Spirit of fear, we bind you in the name of Jesus. You come to oppress us and to keep us from God's best. We say our God is able. Our God is able. You come against us with sword and spear. We come against you in the name of the living God because our God is awesome. Lord, we give you the glory that you and you alone deserve. Yours is the glory for the rest of our lives. Yours is the glory. In any circumstance, yours is the glory. We will not live our lives to make ourselves look great, to build a kingdom by our own power. We serve the kingdom of God by your power and for your glory. And we pray that our life, our lives, would glorify you. That's our prayer. That's our prayer. Let the rest of our lives and everything we do in our lives, let it glorify you, God. I pray, I pray for the comfort, the peace, the blessing of God to rest upon this precious congregation, every campus, every service. I pray that your presence would be very real to us right now, Lord. And that in our heart and in our minds, you would be magnified. That as we leave today, you would be bigger than when we walked in. And all week long, we would magnify you. All week long, we would remember you. And we declare, God, we will defeat a spirit of pride with worship. We made up our minds. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.